2: I'm your radio radio show. I'm your radio radio show. Hello and welcome to the Nine Nine Podcast. It is Nile and Andrea on the Nine Nine Podcast. And uh, how are you, Andrea?
1: <laughs> Hi Nile. I Na. feel like I just say the same um, thing
2: every week, but sure, look, that's what it is. Um
1: That's totally fine. Hello listener I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Hi listener. How are, How are I mean? you Nile?
2: I'm grand now, I'm grand. Yeah, I'm uh
1: You've returned from Sunny climbs
2: Yeah, um we we did our podcast obviously um about Kanye. Uh 2 weeks ago. That feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? But um yeah, we did take last week off um because I was uh, elsewhere. But uh yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like things are reopening a bit. Um, there is some uh, movement happening in the world a bit more. Um, there are possibilities in the future for us all, and perhaps. So that's kind of one of the reasons why we're talking to our guest today. Our guest is Robbie Kitt. Robbie Kitt, who you may know is a DJ, producer, and part of the Give Us the Night campaign. And he's been speaking very eloquently on issues of art, money, funding, licensing, dance clubs, nightclubs, nightlife... All of those kind of issues that we are currently facing now that the the world is reopening and how we do, particularly how we deal with it in Ireland. So we're going to talk to him, just kind of a to get his perspective from a personal and professional overview of like what happens when someone is engaging with the government. How do you, how do you then move forward from that, and how do you then apply that to your everyday life and your professional life and all of those kind of things? If you like what we're doing here, do not fret. If you want to support us, you can give us money. It is patreon.com forward slash niler9. Don't fret. Just give us money. Uh, mm-hmm. Patreon.com forward slash 9 And uh,
1: if three are out there listening, we are willing to become yeah. the three niler9 <laughs> podcast for the right the, amount of money. Nylar 3 <laughs> 903. So, Wonderful.
2: Yeah, we can we can make that happen guys. Come on. We, we're we, here. We have a prize. We're here and we're ready. <laughs> uh yeah, so patreon.com/909. slash nine or nine. We would really appreciate your support. As I said, now the things are reopening. Well, everyone needs a bit of a soft landing and 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 mm. uh, that applies to us as well. And uh in playing in in signing up to uh the Patreon, you also get access to our Discord community, so full of lovely people having chats. which is
1: growing every week. <laughs> um there there is a new a new um chat room uh about wrestling now well i didn't which yeah. i have muted um <laughs> but you know i i have i have dipped in and it seems like it's um it's a nice little space for the for the people who like the wrestling, to talk about the wrestling. Yeah, well,
2: you you um, got your Taskmaster um, channel, so you know it's
1: all kicking off this week you know. in Taskmaster, which has kind of become the telly channel because we're also talking about Bake Off and things in it, and come down with me. Telly channel, um, <laughs> te- telly channel's been been great actually, and as always, the pet channel is um, is a source of of utter joy some, for all of us. Some so, working um,
2: playlists being shared there today as well. So, oh. but there you go, and that is uh, patreon.com/99. Did I say it enough yet? I think I did. Um, mm. So yeah we're gonna have a quick chat with uh Robbie Kitt now about uh his thoughts on all of those uh aforementioned things um Andrea I hope that you are uh ready for some illuminating conversation I'm ready ready let's go So yeah, Robbie, a lot of things have happened and a lot of things have not happened in the last year and a half. (laughs) So I guess with that context and um, looking at kind of the ideas that you were talking about on your Instagram uh, videos recently, um, I guess I just wanted to have a chat about like what's coming next, where we're at in terms of arts and culture and funding and uh, nightlife and all of the things that you know, are on our minds actively, but aren't tied specifically maybe just to, although there is obviously the life uh, life report as well happening, so we can talk about that as well. But I think it's really just, I want to get your perspective on it, as someone who's engaging with the government on an active level, would give us a night and what do you think uh, is it needs to be done now how are you thinking about the reopening first of all uh, first of all in a personal capacity and then secondly uh,
0: professionally um, well like yeah it's like the reopening the whole reopening thing is it's obviously a massive news story do you know what i mean but um it's only just one moment in like a in a whole kind of pantheon of moments you know uh, that have led up to this point like the whole thing that we've been talking about a lot with the campaign is that obviously the pandemic has accelerated all the problems that like just obviously give a bit of context and like, likes give us night is obviously a campaign that's concerned about late night music venues and dance clubs basically like you know um we're trying to call them dance clubs rather than night clubs because that is really where our interest is it's in the activity that's happening in these places and it's like that's like that's dancing to me is 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 the activity that i'm most concerned about and the kind of presence of that type of activity in this country and and that type of behavior has been under threat in this country for literally the best part of 90 years like that's the reality of it so like while we obviously are at an existential moment with the pandemic and with all the implications of what COVID means for you know particularly for nightclubs for late night music venues and just for kind of standing you know free moving venue spaces in general and it's it's something that's been under threat for decades and decades and decades like this is something that the the state has always kind of been in an adversarial position towards this type of activity it's never supported it it's never given it any sort of structural or systemic support in any way you know it's always just been standing in the face of it so you know like the whole reopening conversation it's obviously really important and like for us it's been kind of almost a moment of leverage where we've just been like there's been all these kind of um, legislative constrictions that have been on the industry and the sector for so long and like, I hate to use those words industry and sector. It's been on the culture of it, like, you know, just beyond the behavior for, like, just like in p- terms of individuals' behavior, particularly for young people, like the social infrastructure that these type of spaces p- provide for young people. All of that has just been torn away from them for decades and decades and decades. And what do we see every single time there's an economic crisis in this country? There's just a, a wave, a massive wave of young people leaving the country. And like I don't think that's just all down to the fact that there's no nightclubs in the country, but I do think it has a massive, like massive part of that is the fact that we have very little social infrastructure for young people to actually engage in. So like this whole reopening thing, you know, it's it's obviously really, really important. but like you know we're already way behind the rest of Europe in terms of what we've actually been trying and how we've been learning from the experience of the pandemic and like you know it wouldn't fill you with a huge amount of confidence you know to be honest like even from our perspective we've had really 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 good engagement with the department of culture and i think that that's really important like you know if i i always give the story of when i first contacted the department of culture when uh, i got involved with the campaign sunil kind of has been involved with campaign since 2004 he was one of the founders of it kind of reinvigorated the campaign in 2018. And I got involved then, and I like to we did about a year of research, and then we kind of presented that research to government. And when I contacted the Department of Culture in January 2019, which is not a long time ago, their response was essentially, like, What are you talking? You're talking about nightclubs. Why are you, why are you contacting us? We're the Department of Culture. Uh, you need to be getting on to the Department of Justice. So, like, we've at least advanced the conversation to the point where the Department of Culture accepts that these are cultural issues. And that's like, that actually that had to happen that was that's a kind of a like it's just a position change from the government where they actually recognize the cultural importance of this type of activity um, and now we obviously have the nighttime economy task force response uh, r- a report being published uh today and it's like you know we've gone through extensive consultation with the department of culture and they seem to understand these issues but at the same time the department of culture doesn't have a huge amount of power within the kind of the, the government departments and the kind of the final book always stops with the department of justice and while you know we obviously have commitments from the department of justice as well it's not like we haven't been talking to them you know helen McEntee came out with these announcements in february uh, there was more announcements from hildegard nocton today as well in the in the papers and it's great to see that but again it's you know it's a really common problem across all government departments where just the pace of this change is just it's not it's not really it's just not really responsive enough to like the needs of the industry like this is something i think we see with loads of different issues you know even like the other day when the heads of solange care quit because they were like this is taking too long like i have a lot of sympathy with those people do you know what i mean like that's the exact same experience that we're having and it seems like that's the exact same experience that people are having across a myriad of issues uh, when they're trying to deal with government so that to me seems like yes obviously there's there's specific roadblocks in regards to the issues that we're trying to advance but there's also this this systemic thing which is like it's across everything you know and it's um and it's you know through kind of trying to create room for these type of spaces that I've become a bit more familiar with myself a lot of me a big part of me was kind of like geez I'm just trying to make the clubs open a little bit longer I didn't really want to encounter all the systemic issues that are at the heart of our state but um, unfortunately that is the reality of it you know.
1: What is it do you think that drives the reluctance of the government to engage with things like nightclubs and nightlife as a as a cultural entity is it is it as simple as the fact that we've had a center-right government for a long time and they're less likely to go to these spaces or what, what what is it that you think is stopping them from engaging with them
0: yeah it's a it's a really interesting question you know it's a it's often hard to understand it i think entirely from our perspective because i think all of us would be sympathetic to that these like issues need to be changed and they need to be changed urgently I think it is also a really complex thing. It's not something that can be simply unpacked, you know, Mm. because, you know, as you say, yes, there is this lineage of conservative, you know, kind of constrictive laws that prevent our own personal autonomy because there's a lack of trust. There's an infantilizing of the Irish people in relation to like how they'll behave after a certain hour which like all of that, I frankly find just disgusting and so disrespectful. And it's just, it's not even borne out in any sort of it. Like that is to me a very cultural legacy, very clear cultural legacy of the Catholic church and the way in which this state has been structured uh, since its inception. And like those type of aspects of the law, they, they're not even functional. You know, like, in mm-hmm. like something that I've been saying a lot today is like, you know, there was research done by, I think, uh, like, uh, I'll actually cite this correctly. There was research done by the European uh, Alcohol Study Group, and they basically found that during the lockdown, uh, alcohol consumption in this country remained stable. So there's no change. Even though the licensed premises have been closed for the entirety of this time, there's been no change. And I think that we, we constantly encounter this idea that there's this inseparable uh, connection between alcohol sales and enterti- the provision of entertainment, which is actually mm. this, that's such a terrible thing for, you know, the music industry, for the entertainment industry. Obviously the funds that come from alcohol industry, it it, it does, you know, power a lot of things within the music industry, but it's, it's also constricts so much of the behavior and the c- cultural behavior that we can engage in. And like one of the things within the d- report today that we've been trying to push is the idea that we will expand out the kind of uh, nighttime offerings to spaces that are not just licensed uh, spaces. So like, you know, expanding out these type of offerings to art gallery spaces, community art spaces, um, and like not having them just in the city as well, having them all across the country. Like, you know, from my perspective, I see community structures like the GAA, for example, as being like a really actually good blueprint for how, you know, cultural organizations can actually start to organize themselves across the country. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, it's just like because I suppose separating that conversation, separating those two kind of entities, like, you know, the sale of alcohol from the provision of entertainment is really, really important, I think, in changing that attitude within government. Um, Because like, yeah, I think there's also just a culture of fear. You know, there's just like this fear that if the government makes a decision that's unprecedented, then somebody's going to get the blame. Um, mm. and like that, like you know that again it yeah it, of course there's probably fears in relation to consumption of alcohol and the consumption of substances and all this type of stuff but at the same time it expands beyond these issues as well so like it's mm. i think it is that's like a, something that we found within the entire civil service as we've been dealing with them really good people you know lovely diligent workers but at the same time there's just this I don't know. There's just, there's not really a kind of a sense of you know we need to try this and we need to try something. It's just mm-hmm. everybody's kind of looking over their shoulder the entire time. So it's um, and
1: that's something that was so interesting in in uh, one of the videos that you posted about this that I wanted to ask you about these these advising bodies who the government are relying on for data about basically the decisions that they're going to make so that if they do do something as you said unprecedented that they will have a third party body to fall back on and to cite as as their sort of research unit and of course having those bodies is inherently problematic as you outlined in that in that video because it is their job and they rely on on that as their job so maybe if if you could explain a little bit about how that how that system works in in detriment to to making changes
0: yeah absolutely so like in so like yeah this is the consultancy process that our government kind of engages in in any decision making process that they are working on uh so like as you say like they kind of have to they feel like they need to justify these things and and really they're kind of the only way that things are justified really within the government at the moment the only kind of metrics and there's a whole industry that's built up around this is by kind of quantifying these issues in kind of datafied metrics usually according to economic uh, you know quantifiers so like you mm. know you're saying like this is these are kind of the economic representations of this in kind of figures and because this will lead to better economic yields a better return on investment you know the cost benefit analysis of this is appropriate, then we're gonna make this decision, and mm. that then just yeah it creates this kind of i suppose history of uh like you know uh being able to look back on the decision and be able to say okay well th- we made this decision because this suggested this research suggested that this would re- like reap the best economic uh outcome mm. now like that is just so in itself is also just incredibly narrow it's such an incredibly narrow way of making decisions and while like you know i wouldn't be one to say that we should throw economic metrics out of the out of the uh, like like the situation altogether. it's it's still a situation where it's like it's just so myopically focused on these things mm. that we just we ignore all the things that lie beyond that and there's some things that we just don't have appropriate, like symmetric devices to describe. And that's really kind of our emotional well-being, our, our societal well-being, you know, the ways in which we actually, I, I suppose, the connections and emotional connections that we have with society and the people around us and all those type of things, which are much bigger parts of our lives. And mm. um, And so, you know, you have a situation where you really just have like economists who are writing policy on culture and they don't have any sort of perspective on culture. We see this obviously in like our tourist uh, policy, I think most uh, evidently. It's like Faultier Ireland are pretty open about this. They like they want to focus on the people who are spending the most money when they come to the country. They don't want to focus on the quality of what those people are maybe providing infrastructurally for the people here they're just mm. looking to get the maximum yield off of human capital and like you know, mm. all of these. Which is a
1: very short term attitude to have yeah, towards this that. problem because if, if we keep ignoring the well-being of the artists here and we've seen it happen before in the various recessions that we've lived through, all of our artists are going to leave and all of our musicians
2: are going to yes, leave.
0: And... Absolutely.
2: But it's not just artists as well, it's the more, you know, like you said, prioritising tourists over our own citizens. I, I had this again when I I got to go away last week to Portugal and I was sitting around outdoors in a lovely little city square or a little town square and there was loads of places to sit. And there was loads of those kind of, you know, loads of benches and loads of nice things that we just like, it's like, we just don't have this mm. because we just don't have that fundamental respect for our citizens in the in the country that we live in that allows people to go, no, no, you can sit yeah. there. You can sit there. And it goes back to what you were saying before about the Catholic Church and... The, the very conservative government and all that kind of thing we can't be trusted, all of those things that inform the policies that we have now that allow these things to stay the same and never ever change. yeah, but so, actually like on that
0: point with, as well Niall, it's like because I, I often think about this in terms of the way in which people talk about use of public space and how young people can't be trusted to use public space you know in the right way. That's something that often is levied, and I I just think about that. Like I just think about that so often. I think about how how can you expect people to learn how to use public space if they don't ever have it? You know, um, because most of I think for most young people in this country, a lot of their social experiences are happening in private spaces. You know, they're happening in commodified spaces where they're going and they have to buy something. And the kind of way in which you behave in those spaces is distinctly different to how you behave in public spaces. But we don't really provide these kind of spaces for people to learn. And like, that's the thing is like, people aren't going to just pick these things up up off the ground, you know, and like, maybe there will be a kind of a a somewhat like, you know, tension, kind of filled time where people are going through this process of learning of how to use public space or how to go out a little bit later at night. That's probably going to happen. But if you don't to learn that they never will actually begin to behave in a in a better way i don't i don't think that you tell people to like you know you i don't think people learn in a dictatorial way i don't think you say to somebody this is what you do and that's how you behave now you've learned because i've said it to you that's that's just not the way humans actually develop you know we learn through experience and if you restrict people's experiences then you're going to have people who are behaving in you know, stunted ways. That's the reality, and like, yeah. and we've seen
1: that play out with yeah. um, with the lack of public space um, in cities, certainly uh, during the pandemic. When you when you start cordoning off areas and not allowing people in, people get frustrated, and, mm. and people fight back against that. And then it's very easy for the government to turn around in that instance and say, "Well, those people." these people don't deserve this public space because look how they act when we take it away, exactly. which is a very, as you said, like kind of, you know, it, it, it is, it, it is inherently untrusting. And I, I know we're using phrases like young people here and with every year that passes, each of us becomes less of that group, <laughs> you know, but obviously still, still very much identifying with it, but it's, it's, um I, I do see Dublin as a very different and a much more restrictive place now or in 2019 than even when I was growing up, even when I was a teenager or when I was in my twenties, it does seem to be going for further into restrictions. Um and I'm wondering what what it is, what, what what are the steps? What what are the the first steps that we need to see from the government? Is it is it conversation? Are, are, are you at that stage with them yet? What is, what's the resistance and how, how do we push past it?
0: Well, like yeah, it's, I think from my perspective, it's like, it, there's, it's kind of a, it's a double, double pronged approach. I think, you know, and that's always been in my mind, like in we're dealing with government and we're dealing directly with government, but I'm also interested in, you know, having these experiences myself and 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 doing it myself and i think you can you can do both you know you can talk to authorities and still behave in a way which is a bit more kind of you know maybe on the fringes of what is allowed you know and exploring those avenues as well i think that's really really important for everybody is to you know not wait for the government in regards to these things and and that doesn't mean to be acting irresponsibly i'm kind of saying the opposite you know i'm saying you know because if you see that the council, for example, doesn't treat public space with respect, the first thing you should do, I think, in response to that, is treat that place with respect, you know um, and 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 step up where the gov- where the government and the council won't, you know um, like a friend of mine has a real great project called Sunday Football. He basically plays football on a public football pitch every Sunday. And so often these public football pitches are left in disrepair. There's glass all over the place. So when they go, they go with with a brush and with some bags and they clean it up and then they play football on it and, you know, they are often encountered by locked football pitches and the, like, you know, the council locks it up because they're, they say it needs repairs. So in, in, in those instances, you know, sometimes they, f- they might come back a little bit later and they find that the lock is gone and then they fix the, the, the pitches and then the pitches are fi- fixed and the council doesn't have to do that job. And mm. like, I think in a lot of ways, like, there's issues, there's small issues that we wait for the government and the council to fix. Whereas we actually can just, we have the resources to fix them ourselves. We can just do it ourselves And there's no point in waiting for them because it is really, really frustrating. Like I can't overstate how unbelievably slow and sapping it is to try and deal with government around these issues. It, It just takes so, so, so long. And like we are at the stage where I think we've changed the dialogue, for example, around late night music venues, you know, around club culture. Like this is something that just wasn't really mooted in a, you know, a, a governmental context in Ireland, from my experience, ever. Do you know what I mean? So we've gotten to a stage where, again, like, like you know, last week or two weeks ago at that uh, reopening meeting with uh, the and the shock, you know, Leo was going on about how he wanted the offerings in Dublin to be comparable to those in Berlin and Lisbon. You know what I mean? And like, when we have people...
1: As- As if that just happens because you wish it.
0: Yes. Well, like Zinn, there's also, you know, a real, there's a real symptom, I think, with the government these days where they like to say things that make people feel happy. But then the actual substance behind their words is, is not really forthcoming in any sort of meaningful Mm. way. So like Zinn, you know, we're very aware of that as well. But at the Mm. same time, to even hear that dialogue change is really important because, you know, otherwise we're just, we're really kind of going up against like a genuine adversary in the government now it feels mm. like to m- from my perspective we've gotten to a point where the democratic representatives you know are, pub- are public publicly elected uh, politicians they seem to be widely supportive of these measures and you know the public seems to be widely supportive of these measures now maybe there's still some kind of lobbies maybe the public health lobby might want to have a, a thing or t- two to say but again we're very willing to engage in these conversations we don't want to shy away from them um, i do think that it is like an incredibly short-sighted way to like to address these issues by just banning this type of behavior outright so i think that's a really really like conservative way to approach these issues i don't think it solves anything and um, and again like the, the like things we're calling for is not necessarily that every single venue in the city is allowed to open for 24 hours do you know what i mean like so we're talking about specific yeah. venues that have a very specific function and they are allowed to stay open later because of their specific function that you know the function of dance clubs has never been recognized by the state so you know that function is an unprecedented move but it's also nothing unusual if you're to compare it could like to countries across the world so mm. yeah it's it's one of these things where i think you know we we I'm always gonna advocate for being very open and transparent with our discussions with government. Like I think that's really, really important. We need to engage with the government and we need to make sure that like we're having the conversation on our terms rather than those terms being dictated to us from you know people who are not familiar with the industry or even just the media who like to sensationalize things and like to create their own narrative, which is going to, you know, create maximum engagement with their news stories those type of things are not constructive for us to actually like, you know, have this conversation. And like even mm-hmm. in terms of like public health officials, there was like doctors who were involved in the changes that were made in 2008, which increases the cost of the SEO and really kind of led to, we think, a lot of the decline in the venue numbers over the last decade. Like, There was a famous quote where one of the doctors said that they'd never seen the inside of a of a nightclub, yet they were the ones who were coming up with the regulations that were meant to like control these spaces so Mm. i think that that insight just has to come from people who have experience of these spaces and it's no longer the case that people who have no idea of what they're talking about are dictating the rules by which these places operate you know that just can't that can't be allowed to continue and if it does then the industry will collapse and it will be replaced by illegal events that's (laughs) that's inevitable (laughs) like you know Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think the um,
2: like with today with the night night time economy task force report coming out is there is there light in that do you think for us to look yeah, at?
0: Yeah, like I think so. Like again the like the the time frames that are being given for the changes are still not acceptable from our perspective. You know, it's uh the changes need to happen now. Like we we we've been really not like We've not been mincing our words when we've been talking to the to the like the Minister for Culture. We've made this point directly to the Minister of Culture, directly to the Taoiseach, directly to the Tornish now at this stage. We've talked to like the highest politicians that are in our public offices about this issue. You know, the Minister for Justice, the Minister for Planning, everybody is aware of these issues. So like, you know, that's that hopefully means something, you know, that hopefully means that these issues will advance. Um it's just now we're kind of coming up against this more systemic, uh, like, malaise that has seems to hold all of our public institutions. And again, that's like an issue that's kind of bigger than this one particular issue, from my perspective. This is something to do with a kind of a, a wider issue that is a real problem within all our public bodies um so like Zin. yeah i think that there is like i think that like you know i'm i'm quite self-critical and i think that we i i don't want anybody to be thanking give us the night for the work that we've done until we're on a dance floor and we're beside each other at six o'clock in the morning and you're kind of we, just can, like, we can
1: buy you a pint then
0: <laughs> yeah you're knocking me on the elbow and we're just like giving each other the thumbs up you know like that's like <laughs> when, that'll be great that'll be a great moment but like and i'm sure that that will happen but like Zin. yeah it's it's just an issue of like. I'm also very aware, and I don't think that I think Sunil is very aware of this as well that we just we're not ready to be cotted on this. You know, we're not really what we don't want to just take what the government's saying. They're saying a lot of really, really positive things in this report. They're saying really, 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 really positive things. I don't want to get like get that misguided, but Mm -hmm. we've also heard them say positive things before, and we haven't seen meaningful engagement beyond that. Now, the whole point of this nighttime economy uh, task force report is that. It is talking about kind of moving into the final phases of this. There is a recognition that we've gone through, like, you know, an eight-month consultation process already. And now there's more consultation that needs to be done. And listen, we're here and we're willing to do that. Like, you know, and we're going to go through that process as well. And we're always going to be here if the government wants to consult on these things. But at the same time, yeah, it's, it's really getting to the point where we just need action at this stage, you know? Mm.
1: And for anybody listening to this and feeling, impassioned and angry and what wanting to kind of help move things along how how can people support what you guys are doing
0: well yeah like and i think you know from my perspective w- I think, would it
1: help for people to get in touch with their local tds for example and put put the
0: pressure on that way always it's like i think it's always important that we all engage with like local representatives and make sure that politicians understand that this is a, an important issue to people you know and um, from the point of view of their own self-interest, that's something that they're very interested in. And, you know, they always want to know what's what's the vote getter, you know, at the, at the end of the day. But I think also even more importantly is, you know, just because, like, like again, we're talking about issues that are really deep systemic issues within our society in Ireland, I think, as well and i think that like kind of empowering yourself in a local way is really really important that doesn't necessarily have to be to do with this issue um, but it can be to do with like anything that is in your local environment that you're actually passionate about and that you want to change like if you could try and within your capacity to take a more active role within those issues I think that that's such an important thing. And if, if more people in this country started doing that, I think we'd see a lot of things changing a lot quicker. You know, it seems that there is a bit more of an openness to these ideas now, just unusual ideas, whether it be like, you know, I'm talking about particularly about cultural activity, I suppose. Cause that's the thing I like, care about and the thing I, I'm yeah. interested in myself, but like, you know even you know this weekend i'm going to a gig in mount bernard park that's being run by where the time goes which is an experimental electronic label and they're doing a showcase of gigs in a public park that's being funded by the council so these things are starting to happen a little bit more you know there's like now a little bit more kind of room for interesting things to happen even within these kind of institutional contexts but even if there isn't room for that just do it yourself you know just like i think that people just need to like find ways to responsibly do things and like you know that's not about going to an area and putting on a gig and trashing the place it's about like you become the authority you just become the one who is going to dictate the rules you you, you know yourself what it takes to do something sustainably you can't go to a place a park and like you know bring a speaker and play a little gig and thrash the place and then expect that you can come back next week and do the same thing again you know you have to treat these spaces with respect so i think yeah like as in it's like one of them i would love personally to see small pockets of people just doing their own thing just being like right fuck this you know it's like as in i'm i'm tired of waiting for the government to give me the permission to do this i know what i'm doing is nothing there's nothing wrong about it i'm literally just providing social infrastructure so that people can go and hang out in places that's it you know so um, like I think that that type of activity is like it, it, we we really underestimate in this country like how little social infrastructure we have. I think you know, mm. and how little, how few points we have to connect with people outside of the pub. Really, like you know, and listen, like this is not an attack on the pubs as well. I have to be really clear about that. Like you know, the pubs, I love a pub, and I love having a pint and a chat in a pub. It's great. But we need more options to. Exercise. It can't be the only
1: thing that we can do. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah. and like, if we're if we're constrained just to that, it just really constrains so much more of our behavior beyond that as well. Like you know, so yeah, there's there's like loads of kind of you know practical classic ways. You know, mail your politicians and get in touch with them for sure. But I do also think that like we need to kind of start trying to move towards having experiences in public space with our friends you know social experiences as much as we can i think everybody has had this experience over the last year just not being able to go to places having to hang out in parks and outside and all that type of stuff i think for a lot of people that's been a really rejuvenating experience like people have been like wow this is amazing like this is actually this is a really interesting way to actually
2: you're kind of like breaking the mold a little bit of like what we were able to do before, because you know it wasn't socially acceptable mm-hmm. to, you know, hang out in a park or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it is now you're being encouraged to do so. But yeah, I guess you'd hope that some of that stuff will not just disappear because the pubs are reopened and everything else is reopened as normal. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it is good, like you're saying. You're seeing those that engagement in in public parks and and i've seen something that's going to happen here up in sundrive park uh very soon as well so those kind of things are happening more and more i think people are more aware and the context has been there now the last 2 years We're like we have no we had no other options mm. but i hope that doesn't get forgotten but i think there's still that backdrop of we're not really allowed to do this yeah <laughs> do you know what i yeah. mean like we're there we still are a bit like oh fuck i don't we're not supposed, supposed to be doing yeah. this stuff you know yeah, i think a lot of like, irish permission. People, you need permission for all of these things i
1: think a lot of irish people don't know what the rules are when it comes to public space and we we can be a bit hesitant to use it to its full capacity because we are afraid of the guards coming along for example and mo- moving us along and cer- certain kind of um certain groups in society will will obviously be more afraid of that happening you know because um we we know the problems with the gardi um yeah and
2: which happened to me actually over the summer where you're like you know you're, you're told to sit outside and then if enough people are there the guards come over to you to move on yeah. it's like you can sit there but you can't drink there mm. it was like give us your drink you can stay there but then they don't want let you stay there all these kind of like mm. like you get the power trips or whatever it is you get like whatever happens you're like this is based in reality yeah. or fact no one is making any noise here everyone's just hanging out and he's like this is when this is during a lockdown when, when nobody was allowed back to the house, and it was like you can go to a house it's like we're literally yeah. not allowed. And was like, yeah. I don't care, I don't care Was yeah. the answer. And you're like, This is not the answer to Big all of this. It's like we're not allowed to go anywhere. You're telling us we're not allowed to do anything, and now you're saying, I don't care where you go as long as you don't come here. And that's that's the disengagement of of public space that we see so mm. often with mm. that it manifests itself with, with guards telling people but, to leave, yeah. You know and what I mean? and, and that's, that's kind of also, like
0: that's why when you ask me, Andrea, like you know, what people can do. That's why I probably tie, like, you know, even contacting your politicians with, you know, just doing that, just sitting in a park and hanging out with your friends. Because funnily enough, in the society we live in, that actually is somewhat of a political act. You know what I mean? Like, I think people understand politics as this theater of politics that is going on in the doll. And it's like, no, that's not what politics is at all. That's just a bunch of narcissists who actually don't give a fuck about you. That's basically what's going on there. Mm
2: -hmm. And it's
0: like really you know your everyday life is politics everything is politics you know and Mm. if you like you going out and hanging out in a park with your friends and having a can that actually is a political act like i don't mean to be like you know you know obviously exaggerating what that type of behavior is Mm. but it is because it's going to put you in a tension position with the guards who are like obviously the guardians of peace for the state you know so these are like state agents who are controlling your behavior and telling you you can't do this and mm-hmm. i think like you know if more people are engaged in that behavior in a respectful way and i'm not saying go out there and give hassle to the guards nobody should be doing that you know what i mean if the guards come along and move you on whatever like sitting like they are just as confused and scared as you are do you know what i mean like this Ooh. is the reality <laughs>
1: they're more afraid of you than you are of them they're like <laughs> yeah. spiders
0: it's like you know like everybody just is like so spooked by you know, mm. what's going on and like in these people like and that's a that is an, a real problem with like the laws that actually surround our behavior like even mm. like the drinking outside it's not a national law that's a bylaw of dublin city council and that is something that dublin city council could have gotten rid of at the start of the pandemic and yeah. there would have been so little problems because of it mm. you know what I mean like seeing I and- suppose
1: that's 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 a good first step for people is I suppose educate yourself on what exactly the law is what you can do within that law how much you can push it I suppose and but always make sure to be kind of with within its boundaries while still challenging what you're able to do in a public space because you know the why why stay so far on this side of the law where you're not actually able to have a social life you know why why not
0: challenge it yeah absolutely and it's also just like a thing where it's like you know like say say for example the public dance halls act of 1935 Like in you know people often talk about dancing as being a political act and it is and like listen I've got all types of utopian ideas about what the dance floor represents I think it's like one of the only places if you're at a if you're in a real real proper dance floor experience like a real meditative transformative dance floor experience is one where You have people who are coming together and expressing themselves in a kind of collective structure but also having an individual autonomy in that space and like that intersection of people being able to express themselves collectively and individually in the same space that doesn't really happen a lot in Mm. life at all you know and so Mm. i see that happening in in dance floors i'm not saying that you can extrapolate directly from that to build you know whatever political superstructures in the same mold but at the same time i think there's a lot of lessons to like in terms of the behavior that's exhibited there by human beings that could be actually learned from in a kind of a societal sense but like you know in the irish context you know you need court permission to have a dance and so if you are actually out with even 10 friends just dancing on the street you're in the middle of the day the guards can come up to you and they can say no you're not allowed to do that and that's um that's like that is obscene that is so obscene And we've obviously been talking about the repealing the public dance halls act There's a commitment to repeal the public dance halls act in the nighttime economy task force that's been report that's been published today but like you know it's like that's i feel like the way in which that will be truly challenged is by just people highlighting how absurd this is you know like saying like we should have people just going out and having dance protests and just like you know not drinking not making it a big session just going out and just playing music and dancing and then forcing the guards to actually confront that and use that law so that we can demonstrate and and show, look how just ridiculous this is. This doesn't make any sense. It's not constructive for anybody. So we need to, like, we really need to redress, like, really address these issues and just address them in a mature way. Again, it's not about, like, you know, opening up all the pubs until eight o'clock in the morning. Nobody is calling for that. No one one wants that. Nobody wants that. Nobody (laughs) wants to get messy. Like, you know, like not even us, you know, like nobody wants... People stumbling out in the streets and all these type mm. of public orders uh, problems. The reason we're suggesting these issues is because we think that that will alleviate these problems. You know, so yeah, yeah I think it's just again, it's about having a mature approach to these problems and then also taking autonomy within your own local space, uh, spaces that you understand as well. Like you know, I think uh, organizing things amongst your friends. You know, don't invade environments that you're not a part of and that you don't. You're not familiar with. You know, don't go sessioning beside somebody's gaff or anything like that. Just people. <laughs> we all know. We all have the like autonomy and the cop on to be able to behave in a mature way, and that's just the way in which we need to go about it. You know. Great. Very good. Um,
2: Robbie. Finally, do you think? Um, you know, are we are we looking at rebro Re really re- breaking the mold on events and public events and how the licensing works you think we're finally getting to that point now like you said the dance hall act is there's talk about that being repealed at the moment do you think we will get there do you think we will get to that point where we will be a bit more of an open society in terms of events
0: um yeah i do i like i do i don't know when but i do think it will happen um I think that there has been a massive change in the way in which people have talked about these things over the last year. I think the pandemic in a lot of ways actually probably accelerated these things. Um, Particularly, I think just in relation to like that trust that people have in the public, you know, Um, because at the start, like I just reflect back to the start of the pandemic and like, just think about, I just think about how everybody was so, together in those moments you know what i mean and when we were called on to do something that was really important everybody just stood up and did it you know like the very 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 vast majority of us were following the rules and just doing what we were told to do in the interest of the safety of older and vulnerable people in society you know and i think in light of that experience i think it's just so disingenuous then to turn around and say well you can be trusted in a moment of crisis like that but you can't be trusted on a saturday night that's that's ridiculous to me. Like you know, it's like it, you can't have this double standard for people for where you trust them when you need to trust them, and when you need everybody to buy in to how we're behaving in society, and then when it comes to their own free time, their own leisure time, and you're just like, no, you're not allowed to do that. That's that's not consistent, and I don't think that anybody should accept that. And I think having that experience is something that for us in a kind of a just in 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 having this conversation in a public sphere it just really really helps us actually have something really tangible to point to that everybody had an experience to experience of and it just allows us to tackle that kind of like conservatism that we're always going to come up against so i hope that that will definitely advance this conversation and just accelerate it to the point of conclusion as fast as possible so i can get back to my life <laughs> <laughs> Well,
2: speaking again back to your life, we better let you go because you are uh, you are wanted by uh, and uh, the national radio uh, broadcaster <laughs> News Talk to have a chat. Yeah, um, it a and uh, it's a bit bu- it's a busy old day <laughs> yeah. for you. So Robbie, thank you
1: so so, so, so uh, much for taking the time to not
0: at all. It's talk great about this great chatting guys. Cheers, Bye. dude. Okay. Thanks.
2: Okay, thanks very much to Robbie for taking time. Uh, Today is a particularly busy day as we record. The the Nighttime uh, Task Force report has been released. Um, If you want the full details on that, you can check out 999.com and see what's on it and what the government are talking about. I think there is some hope based off what's been coming out so far about licensing hours, all those kind of things, staggered closing times, the things that uh, Robbie talked about and mentioned there briefly. I guess we did we wanted the chat to be a bit more, you know, uh, wider than just like what's happening today.
1: I think this goes so much further than just reopening. You know, these these are issues that we've been having like Robbie said for a really really long time and I definitely feel very impassioned by what he was saying about getting involved in the local area and making public spaces our own. So, um I hope that that message is is carried through to our listeners who are sound and <laughs> could probably do nice things in public spaces and I look forward to them. Yeah.
2: Well, hopefully we'll all get yeah. back to that very soon and uh Yeah. I I for one welcome our public space overlords whoever they may be. <laughs> as as do I.
1: <laughs> um Can I plug my thing? Please do. So, hi listener, it's me Andrea. If you listen to this podcast and you're like god, this Nile guy goes on a bit. I'm really only here for Andrea. <laughs> I have my fair, own podcast. <laughs> I have my own podcast now. It's called My Favorite Albums, produced by Tall Tales. Episode three is out this week with Claire Beck discussing Laurie Anderson's um 1982 debut avant-garde record, Big Science. It's a lovely chat, um, and I love doing it. And two other episodes are available. Sarah Corcoran from Pillow Queens was episode one, and Comedian Michael Fry was episode two. And you can listen to it on all your podcast apps. And Talking about
2: LaRue's uh, debut album. Yeah,
1: that was, yeah, a big surprise. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'd, I would have had absolutely no other cause to go back and listen to that album um, if it wasn't for that. So
2: It did prompt me to go back and listen to it a little bit. good album. Yeah, last, on Saturday. It's a good yeah, album. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um,
2: I haven't heard it for quite a while.
1: Quite a while. Bulletproof holds up it does yeah really absolutely. does yeah so you can listen to that on uh any of your I, I think there is some issues with a couple of the i think we're not quite on a cast just yet but we're definitely on apple and google and spotify if you just search it there and maybe tell a friend because it's new and i'd like people to hear it thanks bye <laughs>
2: <laughs> thanks bye thanks, okay man. well you heard you heard the lady um and um, because she is a lady, oh yeah. <laughs> um, so you have to listen to her. Um, but we will be back next week talking about um, who knows what. Thankfully, we we skipped the week where uh, Drake released a, a a very long and boring album. Mm. And, uh, I just listened as- to
1: the No Encore uh, review of it and texted Dave in the middle of it, and I was like, "Thanks for listening to that album, so that I didn't have to." Because there's absolutely no way <laughs> going near. Honestly,
2: it. it's it's very it's very uh, bland.
1: It's
2: yeah I'm fine fine thanks Certified <laughs> bland boy
1: yeah all right do you know what I've gone back to Sor- Sorka Richardson's 2019 album first prize Bra- per- first prize bravery um nice. which is the choice nominated I, I think it was because it was nominated for the choice and I was a judge that year I just haven't returned to a lot of those albums much because I was listening to them so much that year but um the, the song Honey just got stuck in my head the other day and I've just been listening to it nonstop. stop the album nice. um which has been great. Really
2: enjoying that. Great. I've been enjoying uh, the Little Sims album. Sometimes I might be intro- yeah. introvert. Uh, yeah. I've been enjoying that a lot. It's very long, but it, that's not a criticism. It's just a, it's kind of one of the nice things to stick on. There's some great tracks on it. Mm. And uh, I really enjoyed the vibe of it. So that is something. Oh, yeah. and one, new album well, I'm really enjoying at the moment.
1: One other thing I want to bring up. When did we start calling it The Mercuries? Um, and Let's Stop Doing That. Pe- Who calls people, it that? So many people I saw on Twitter and so on. Saying like, "Oh, the Mercury's is tonight. Who do you there's think's going to win?" There's
2: only one award. The
1: only one award.
2: Please like, stop, my friend. Okay. Please. Like leave
1: the it alone. the choices, the choices prize. Like it. Do, it doesn't make sense to me. Um. Yeah. yeah. Just wanted to.
2: The choices moan about that.
1: The choices. <laughs> <laughs> the choices. Mm, that I'm not opposed to, actually. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the okay. Choices. Love it. Love it. All right. We'll be back next week and uh, we will talk to you now. As I said, patreon.com forward slash 909 from a fiver a month and say hello. And uh, and Andrea, um, your podcast is called
1: My Favorite Album with Andrea Cleary. It's available on most of your things. Just search for it, you'll see it.
2: Great. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.